Well, good morning. Again, I want to reiterate, if you are here for the first time, we are honored and privileged to have you with us. It is our great, great joy to have you in worship with us this morning. We know that it takes a lot to uh, <clears throat> kind of muster the energy to come to a new place, or maybe you're here with some family and just kind of go, hey, what are these folks about? But we're glad that you're here. Uh, I hope that uh, you would have an encounter with Christ, that people would be kind to you, and you would uh, kind of walk away going, man, these people, they're they're all right. Or they love the Lord. That's kind of our deep desire. So our goal is not to entertain you or have you want to come back, just to see our authentic heart as a community. And so we really are glad you're here. <clears throat> um, that being said, it's a, it's a great time to actually catch a glimpse into who we are. Um, we've wrapped up a year-long study of the book of Ephesians. Every verse, every nuanced chapter, every little verb, every word, we went through it slowly and methodically. We covered every piece of it. It was a great study. It was challenging. It pushed our definitions of things, everything from our own understanding of our relationship with Christ to definitions of marriage and family and sexuality and what life should look like as followers of Christ, even as a church, and our battle against uh, sin and evil. And it was just powerful from top to bottom. It's a powerful book. And so if you are interested in that, all those are available online. You can go back and take a listen to our kind of thoughts through that whole book. But we came to an end a couple of weeks ago. We wrapped all that up. Um, Brandon kind of launched us last week into a, a little bit of a sort of isolated a message there, which I'm really grateful that he did, bridging the gap for us to start some new things. And so a lot of you have been asking, hey, what are, we, what are we starting? What's new? Kind of what are we looking forward to? And we're in a season in our life. Every year we come to this time of year, we pause for just a moment with whatever we're going on, whatever's going on, and we kind of do a little bit of self-examination. Um, we look at where we've been in 2023 or the year before, and we cast a vision for where we feel like God is leading us in 2024. It's like a time where we get to kind of stop and pause and think and look back and reflect. And we also talk about in those things, what does it look like for us to be a church that's biblically committed to the Lord, like fully given our whole heart to the Lord. And we examine our things like our time and our resources and our finances and kind of all these different pieces. It's an important time of year for us. Uh, on November 21st, 12 years ago, we kind of launched this little idea. For some of us, this church, for some of us, that's a huge deal. For others other of us, it's no big deal. But the fact that God has been faithful and sustained us and thrived us through these Decade plus is unbelievable to me. I just can't believe anybody ever wanted to do this with us. And so, uh, yet here we are, I tricked you into that, and now you're on this boat, and here we're floating down the river. And uh, it's just an amazing time of year. And so, that's what we're going to do. We're going to take a few weeks, we're going to pause, we're going to examine who we are as a church, we're going to talk about what it might mean to be the church that God is calling us to. We call this season stewardship. What that really means is that we're going to examine our hearts and lives and say, what is it going to take for us to go all in for the kingdom of God? Now, for those of you here the first time, I know what you're thinking. All you can hear is, the dude is about to ask us for money. Like, that is about what's, I mean, the conspiracy of I finally get up and I go to church and the dude is going to be like, hey man, listen, before you leave, so just do your little thumbprint here and leave your checking account information. We'd love to have you back next week. Um, not true. We're actually not talking about money at all. Um, we very rarely do, unless it just flat out comes out in Scripture, which it actually does a lot, interestingly enough. But we're not. Um, it's a part of what we're going to be addressing in terms of what has a hold of our lives and how we live as people that are wise, but not so that you would give money to this church. We truthfully don't care. Honestly, I'm, I don't say that. This church does not want a single dollar of yours, in the period. God has sustained us and thrived us and moved us uh, with or without you. Like it, it doesn't matter. What we desire is that you would fully give your whole heart to Jesus. And then you would understand that your 
life is about giving the resources away that he has given you. You are a steward of God's resources. But first, our desire is that you would surrender your life to Christ. And then whatever has a hold of your heart, whether it's financial or time or energy or relationships or whatever, we would see our lives as people that are driven by being stewards of those things. They're not yours anyway, right? Everything that we have in our life actually belongs to the Lord. It's not ours to hoard and grab and hold on to and be afraid that the church or people are going to take it. Our, as followers of Christ, our heartbeat is God has blessed me and I get to give these things away, which includes time and resources and relationship and passion and heart and serving. And so our heartbeat as a church is that we would be a culture of biblically generous people. Like that's my deep heartbeat for this church is that we would be known as a culture of biblically generous people that give away our lives and our hearts and our resources, that everything, that this isn't about what we can grab and hold on to, but instead that we are a culture that is driven by giving life away. Like that is my deepest, deepest desire. And so we're going to be exploring some of those concepts um, over the next few weeks. But the truth is, Jesus does actually, and Scripture actually does, talk about resources and money a lot. Because the truth is, every single one of us has got attachment issues when it comes to those resources and those things. And we have issues with the church. Because at some point in time, myself included, I'm sure you, um, have been at a place where you have been jaded, hurt, or frustrated by how the church has handled, uh, used, or um, kind of explored its, or exploited its own relationship with power and with money. And so we tend to be jaded, and that is understandable. There is no reason uh, that that's not a valid feeling. However, that does not negate what Scripture tells us about what it means to live and be biblically generous. And so we're going to be exploring some of those things. Because the truth is, is that a majority of the actual New Testament is devoted to this issue. I mean, 11 of the 39 parables are devoted to money and resources, right? Of Jesus' own words, 33% of them are actually tied to some kind of giving away or shepherding or stewarding resources that are in our life. There's 800 verses in the Old Testament that are designed just around these topics. The truth is, is that God knows it's an issue for us. And so we are called to worship with our wealth and not worship our wealth, right? And so this is a lot of the move of Scripture because it's a wrestle with human hearts. They were wrestling with it some 6,000 or 2,000 years ago, depending on what part of Scripture you're reading, the same way that we wrestle with it now. So what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks is we're going to explore what it might mean to be wise, to be biblically wise people with, our, with the way that we approach our relationship with the Lord, the way we approach our relationship with, with material things, and the way we approach our relationship with people. And we're going to do it by looking at the book of Proverbs. So we're going to take a little bit of a step back time-wise. We're going to jump back into one of the wisdom books of the Old Testament. We're going to look at one chapter of the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 3, a little series that we're just titling Love and Faithfulness because it's really the center point of that. Is like to, you'll see it today. Never let love and faithfulness leave your heart. It's what we want to be known for, this generous biblical picture of people that never are far from love and faithfulness. But Proverbs is a really interesting book. Um, I wish we had time to maybe go through the whole thing, but that is several years that we're not ready to jump into yet. We've got other things on our plate, but it's, it's pretty powerful. Um, it's one of the five wisdom books in the Old Testament, and there are five of them. It's a section of literature in the Old Testament that we call the wisdom literature, the wisdom books, which include Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon or Song of Songs. Those five books make up the wisdom literature. And the wisdom literature is very different than all the other writings of the Old Testament. A lot of the Old Testament was written from a historian's point of view. 
It was written from, let's tell a story. This is what's unfolded. This is what's happened. This is the year. This is the king or this is the whatever. The wisdom books are actually written collectively from a different heartbeat. They're written from a pastoral heartbeat. They're actually written from a heart that says, what does our relationship, mainly Israel, look like when it's right or wrong with God? How do we live as people that are correctly oriented to the God who made us, right? And so the wisdom books are written with this sort of pastoral heart. Psalms, and you can even see it if you've read in those books, Psalms and Proverbs and Job, if you get into the interior of it, right? Ecclesiastes, right? The, the crying out uh, that's part of that book and the declarations that's a part of it. Song of Solomon, the heartbeat of, of Solomon himself as he explores love and, and faithfulness and all these kind of pictures, right? So you can see just from the onset that these are different books, and Proverbs is right in the middle of that. And Proverbs is driven around this idea of wisdom. It's actually a collection of wisdom from centuries and centuries, collected and curated and written by Solomon. Solomon basically coined a lot of this. He collected a lot of this. He curated a lot of it. He put it into one book of these sort of wisdom sayings, if you will. In the middle are all these sort of this and this and this and this and this and this. Like you should do this, but don't do this. But on the ends are these really powerful theological truths. The first three chapters and chapter 31 are really pastorally written. And the rest are great little quippy, powerful truths. But the bookends of this thing are really powerful. And they're written from the deep wisdom perspective. And we're going to look at the last chapter of that little intro section, chapter 3. And we're going to explore this idea of wisdom. Right? What does it mean for you and I and as a church to be biblically wise? Like how do we, we rightly orient our heart with God? So I started thinking about that and I started thinking, what does it actually mean to be wise? Or what is biblical wisdom? Like, right? I mean, the Old Testament talks about it a lot. It actually talks about that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. But what truly is wisdom? Well, as I started really looking through it and kind of working through it, biblical wisdom is this idea that we are called to live in harmony right, with God and his redemptive work in the world. Like, that is what it means to be truly biblically wise. Not to have this depth of knowledge or to be smarter than other people, as we would talk about earthly wisdom. But biblically wisdom is actually the orientation of our human hearts to align in harmony with God so that we are in that harmony, that same beat, that same breath with the heartbeat of God's redemptive work. So what that simply means is this, is that the collective heart of the follower of Christ is to say, the wisdom means that I want my heart to beat in line with the heart of God. Like that no matter what the world says is right or wrong, I want my heart to be in harmony with God. That's what biblical wisdom means. It means that the creator of the universe, the God that that formed the stars and breathed life into your lungs, as Psalm 139 says, the God that orders the world and oversees all things, that is sovereign and holy and mighty, has invited us into this place where we get to know his heart. And a wise person says, I don't want to do this on my own. I want my heart to beat in harmony with God's. Which means the things that God thinks about in terms of life, in terms of joy, in terms of servitude, in terms of resources, I want my heart to align with that. In terms of marriage, in terms of sexuality, in terms of passion, like I want my heart to beat in harmony with the heartbeat of God. That is a wise person. And if you look at the book of Proverbs, the entire book is really about that, how to line your heart up with the heartbeat of God. So that's what we're going to be exploring over the next few weeks. Um, we're going to be talking about it in those terms. And we're going to talk about wisdom in terms of this, right? So this morning we're going to talk about the wise trust the Lord. 
is where we're going to be. Next, we're going to talk about the wise honoring the Lord. And then the final week, we're going to be wrapping that up with the wise that will follow the Lord. But this morning, we're going to talk all about trust from a bunch of different angles and a bunch of different places. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to open up to Proverbs chapter 3. We're going to be in the first eight verses this morning, and we're going to explore this idea of wisdom and this idea of trust. Like, what does it mean for a follower of Christ to truly trust the Lord? Like, all in, trust Jesus. Like, what would that look like, and why is that the wise place from my heart. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and open up. Let's take a few moments. Let's pray together. And then we are just going to jump right into this thing and see what happens. Lord, what a privilege to be here this morning. Lord, I recognize that we come here, as I mentioned earlier, from every different walk of life imaginable. Some of us are first-time guests. Some of us have been coming for the past 12 years. Some of us never miss. Um, Lord, some of us are here in, in hurt. Some of us are here in joy. Uh, we're in all different places in our hearts. We've got a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety, a lot of worry. Some of us are in the middle of just lives of mediocrity. Some of us are in the greatest moments and the greatest seasons that we could ever imagine. But the beauty of who you are, I mean, one of the beauty, beautiful things of who you are, at least, is that you meet each of us right in the middle of our own life. You don't require us to fix everything or have all the answers or clean everything up or know all things. You just invite us into relationship with you. And you step into our world means you step into our fear, you step into our anxiety, Lord, you step into our worry, you step into our broken relationships, and you redeem all things. There is nothing that is beyond your redemptive hand. So this morning as we sit here, Lord, we ask you to teach our hearts. The fool tries to swim against the current of God, but the wise lines their heart and beats in harmony with the king of kings. Lord, make us wise people. Take a moment in your own heart this morning and just ask the Lord to teach you. As simple as that. Nothing more complicated. Just, Lord, teach me. We do this each week. We want to ask the Lord to teach our hearts. Not my words, his words. And take a moment and pray for somebody around you. We do this as well. We want to be in the habit of praying for other people. Everything that unfolds here on Sunday morning is not about you. Pray that God would move in them. Even if you don't know them, just pray for the person sitting in front of you or behind you or around you or maybe it's your husband or your wife. Just, just pray for them. Say, God, move in this person's life. Draw them closer to you. Pray for that person. Lord, we turn our entire morning over to you. We ask you to let these words of truth pull from this page and embed themselves into our heart. Lord, help us be wise people that trust you. Lord, as we put our whole heart into following you, we ask this in the risen name of Jesus, our Savior and our Redeemer. <clears throat> Amen. Proverbs chapter 3. Let's look at the first eight verses. We'll read them together, and then I'm going to kind of break them down a little bit for us as we kind of hover over this first idea is this, the wise trust the way of the Lord, right? So this is what Proverbs 3, 1 through 8 says. It says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will find favor with God and with man. 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. So you get the sense right there in in chapter 3 that we are talking about something really, really important. And we're hovering with this idea of wisdom, right? What is biblical wisdom? Well, biblical wisdom is the fact that we want to align our hearts in harmony with the redemptive work of God. The wise person, the biblically wise person, allows their heart to beat in harmony with the heartbeat of God, right? That's wisdom. So what does Proverbs 3 tell us about people that are wise? And we're going to be exploring this for the next few weeks, but there are what I think three really powerful things here that hover around this idea of wisdom. Three things that wise people do, right? And the first one we see there comes in the first four verses, and it's very clear. It's basically this, that the wise person or a wise person understands the importance of the Word of God. So being biblically wise means that we understand the importance of God's Word. I mean, you can hear it dripping in those verses, right? My dear son, don't forget my teaching. Keep my commands. Keep them in your heart. They will prolong your life, right? Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them or tattoo them on the tablet of your heart. You'll win favor with God and in man. Do not lean on your own understanding, right? You get this sense in these first few verses that the, the, our author of Proverbs, or Solomon, as he collected these things, is saying, listen, I don't want you to miss how important God's word is. In fact, it's so important that I want you to make sure that it is the most vital and the most important thing in your life. Never, ever forget it. Bind it around your neck. In other words, tie it to your soul. Tattoo it on the inside of your heart. That's how important God's word is. Now, why is our author saying this? Like, why is that vital? Well, the truth is, is because you and I as humans have really short memories. It's probably the one thing I struggle with the most as a follower of Christ. And I struggle with a lot of things. But the one thing that really plagues my heart is my short memory. And I mean that by saying this. When everything is good and life is kind of unfolding in its right rhythms, I am well and I love the Lord and my memory is great and God is good and I can remember all the things that he has done and where he's brought me from and how grateful I am and how God has rescued and redeemed me and never left me nor forsake me and my life lines up and I just say, God, you are great. But the moment life goes from calm to chaos, the moment life begins to unfold in a way that I can't control, predict, or understand, the moment that things get out of my immediate understanding, my memory is the first thing to go. And I throw my hands up and I say, God, where are you? Like, what happened? Why have you abandoned me? Why have you left me? You're nowhere to be found. Why am I walking through these things? And I immediately forget the faithfulness and the goodness and the movement of God. I forget his promises, his protection, all the things that he's done for all the years of my life. My memory is short. Why? Because my understanding of God is often tied to my feelings. It's tied to what I'm walking through. The psalmist says it's a mistake, or the the Proverbs author says it's a mistake Instead, what we should take is God's word, his command, and and, and so bind them to our soul that we can never forget them. Like that we would write it on the inside of our heart because there's going to be moments in life where you walk through things you don't get. 
where you don't understand, where life goes from calm to chaos, where things implode, where everything hits the fan, where it just feels like, what do I do and where do I go from here? And the psalmist says, in those moments, I want God's word, or the proverb author says, in those moments, I want God's word to be so ingrained to your soul that you can't forget it. Like you look down and you've tied God's word around your neck. You're like, okay, I'm going to calm down. I'm going to realize that for all these years of my life, God has never abandoned me. He's never left me. He's never even broken one single promise. I've written those things on my heart. During those great days and those beautiful green valleys and those mountaintops experience, those where I've written God's truth upon my heart. And what our author's saying is that there are times in life that are coming that are going to put those things to the test, that are going to push your long-term memory into short-term action. And he's saying the wise person, right, the wise person knows the importance of God's word. Which means if you go to do this on your own, you go to navigate life's path to try and figure all these things out. Why is this happening? Why is that happening? What should I do? Where should I go? If you're trying to do all these things on your own, you are a fool. You're not allowing your heart to be in harmony with God. You are swimming against the current. And he says, don't do it. This is why the things of God are so radically countercultural. Culture moves down the stream and God puts a dam up and says, this is not how I operate, right? The first shall be last. Instead of saving all your resources, give them away. Instead of living in fear of what tomorrow brings, find joy in what today has. Like all of these things that are breathed in Scripture are designed for us to push against culture. So we've got this sort of first picture, right? And that's sort of the groundbreaking thing where our, our, our author says, the wise, the wise know the importance of God's word. Well, the only way that you begin to tattoo the word of God on your heart and bind it around your neck is to know it. If you're not spending time in the word of God, and you'll hear Brandon and I talk about this constantly, if you're not spending time in the word of God, if the only time that you're opening your Bible is when we sit here on Sunday morning, you are doing your life as a follower of Christ an incredible disservice and you're setting yourself up for foolishness. Because life will come with a wind it will come with a storm. It will come with the waves. And what's your anchor point? Well, a wise person says, it's the word of God that is written on the inside of my heart. I know it. I know it backwards and forwards. God's promises are true and they are real. So the wise person knows the importance of the word of God. Listen to what else it goes on to say in these next really famous verses, which hopefully most of us have heard or have memorized on some level. Five and six. He says, trust in the Lord... With all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. So not only do the wise know the importance of the word of God, but the wise truly trust in the Lord. And this word trust is a really interesting one. Um, in fact, these, these verses here are really powerful. We could probably spend a, a full week kind of breaking them down, but we're going to look at them just a little bit from the surface this morning because uh, we want to get to other things, but they're really powerful because that word trust is really hard. Um, it shouldn't be, but it is. It's, it's really hard because we're really, really, really good at trusting when everything is working. Like, that is great. But the author says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. So a wise person who trusts in the Lord, trusts in the Lord with all of their heart. And that's the sort of catch word for me because I'm great at trusting the Lord with part of my heart. 
Like, I, I'm really actually, and I'm not just saying I'm tooting my own horn. Like, I'm really good at trusting God with part of my life as long as I can control the other part. Like, I'm great at it. I'm great at saying, God, I fully trust you, but I've got this money saved over here in case that doesn't go, we're all good. Or, God, I really, truly trust you, but here is plan B, plan C, and plan D. In case you don't show up, God, I am all in favor of you, but I am fully safe. I'm great at that. But that's not what this says at all. It says, trust the Lord with all of your heart. Because trusting the Lord with part of your heart is actually not trust at all. It's just comfort, right? It's secretly saying, God, I don't know that you can do this, so I'm going to take care of myself. That's all that's saying. It's me telling God, I don't think you're big enough. I don't think you can do it, or I don't think you will. And so I'm going to hedge my bet, and I'm going to protect myself. And that is dangerous. It's really dangerous because I can't do any of those things. I can't protect myself. I can't save myself. I can't do anything. I'm just trying to comfort myself. What God says to us is that he is fully God. Like he knows the number of our days and the hairs on our head. He knows every breath we take before we draw it. He knows what we need. He knows every prayer before we ask it. And he's saying, trust me. And I'm saying, I'm good. I'm afraid. But God's saying, no, I want you to give me all of your heart. And a wise person says, okay. Even when things don't make sense, even when there's a ton of questions, we trust the Lord. Seasons are hard. We all have them. We run through a seasons where we just don't know what's around the bend. And going all in, trusting the Lord is not easy. And I don't say that tongue-in-cheek. And I've gone back and forth on whether or not to kind of do this this morning, but I'm going to do it anyway because Brandon bet somebody I wouldn't, so I'm going to prove him wrong. <laughs> Collect $5. <laughs> it's been a hard season for us, personally. Um. I ran into some medical things this, and again, if you're here for the first time, super sorry, about to get super personal. Um, but only because, and also I'm going to caveat by saying this, none of you can be mad at me that I didn't tell you because I didn't tell anybody, so only a handful. I had a tough season medically this, this year personally. Um, in late spring, I had a stroke, a real one, not like a small one, like a real one, like one that should have killed you. Um, lost most of my vision on the right side of my face for a while, not too long. It actually came back. Didn't know that's what it was. Um, I'm young, 39, right? Um, <laughs> joke never gets old, kills every time. Um, didn't know that's what it was. Wasn't quite sure, right? So uh, went and saw all kinds of people, our very own Dr. Carnish with my eyesight and all kinds of folks. Saw also, you know, a, a neuro optometrist, all kinds of people. They did all kinds of tests, ran all kinds of MRIs, all kinds of things. Figured out that's what happened, um, and so the question became why and how do we begin to address this so that it doesn't happen again. My vision did come back. Um, I still have some, some vision field lost to the down, down in here, but nothing substantial at all, which is great. Thank, thanks to the Lord. They ran a bunch of tests, did everything from cardiologists to um, you know, blood work and um, checked all those things, blood pressure. Everything came back about as it should, you know, nothing that they would be crazy alarmed about or saying, hey, this is the reason or these are the things. And so we were left with a ton of unopened, unanswered questions all spring from February through about May. 
We had no real idea why or if it was going to happen again or what we could do. They put, it, put me on a little bit of medicine, but Meredith and I and the kids, we didn't, we didn't really know. We just were just kind of waiting. Um, so we kept seeing cardiologists, kept seeing different folks, and they sent us some different, different places and found out essentially over the course of time, right about the end of May, that my heart is just basically trying to kill me. That's kind of the easiest way to frame it. It's got a couple of different issues going on with it, right? Um, first is that I had this incredibly low heart rate. Um, I'm not really sure when or where or how that started, but it's real low. Like if you're a medical doctor, which again, remember, in my freshman year in college, I was pre-med, so I, uh, I, I had two poli-sci's in English and history, so I'm really in tune with the doctors, <clears throat> like we speak the same language. I switched to general studies, which is a much more difficult major, uh, but, you know, I just, the rigors of medicine. So I, uh, anyway, um, so basically I have these two conditions. The first is that it's incredibly low heart rate, um, which is great if you're Lance Armstrong, Michael Phelps or Treb Prater, apparently, those names are all, you know, they're all often mentioned in the same sentence athletically. Um, but it's really low, like it lives in the 40s, like low 40s, like 39, 40. For most average humans, you want to live about 70. Uh, it's beats per minute. Mine's real slow, all right? Um, I also live in AFib, which essentially my heart loves to not beat in rhythm. The top of it and the bottom of it don't communicate well with each other. In fact, they don't communicate at all. And so I don't feel it. Most people that have we really get heartbeats or all things. They kind of understand it. It happens every now and again. My happens all the time. It never stops. Those two things combined cause some big problems because they cause clotting in your blood. So when your heart beats slow um, or when it um, isn't beating in rhythm, it causes lulls, and those lulls cause clots, and those clots cause strokes and heart attacks and things like that. So they finally figured out this is kind of what's going on. And they said, you know, we're going to do a couple of different things. We suggest a couple of things. You can't be fixed by normal means. So, like, we're not going to be able to give you medicine. Like, that's not going to fix you. Because your heart essentially is going to re- not going to like it. It loves where it is. It just loves living like it does. So this is the best, you know, best my layman's terms kind of explaining all this. There's much more complicated terms for explaining. But, you know, it's nothing, anything that other people haven't had. So that's kind of why I'm mentioning it like this. But nonetheless, they decided, or we decided, that we'd do a procedure in um, October, which was last week, uh, that we would go in and basically do this heart procedure called a uh, cardiac ablation that would essentially try and take a really hot catheter and burn a hole in the heart. That's kind of the way it works, right? They just run it up your leg, and they try and singe the parts of your heart that aren't working right. Um, they can do this, and hopefully what that will do is it would control the irregular heartbeats and get it to beat right again, and then, you know, life could kind of go on, and, and you'd, be, you'd be great, and works pretty good, and it's pretty in, in, uninvasive and those kind of things. And Okay, that's great. We'll try that. No big deal. You know, we'll schedule that. Scheduled it in October. Went in last Thursday and uh, to have that procedure done. So we'd meet with our doctor, uh, who was about 12, by the way. Um, <laughs> He's like Doogie's dad. I mean, like Doogie's son. Doogie Hauser had a son. I, he's my doctor, which is good, I guess, because he knows how to use his phone. My other cardiologist still reads. He uses the paper calendar like Brandon. And so I'd rather the guy on the phone that can, like, uh, read the latest journals. or Anyway, nonetheless, he comes in. He's like, hey, man, this, we're going to do this procedure. It's going to be fine. No big deal. We're, we're all good. They've got us all prepped. Again, it's not a huge deal, right? People have these things, these things all the time. He said, I do have some, some concerns. Again, it's 6.30 in the morning on Thursday, and we're thinking, this would be nice to know a week ago, but nonetheless, he goes, here's my problem, is that I think when we do this, your heart rate's going to drop lower, and that's going to be a real problem. He said, now, maybe I'm being negative, and hopefully it won't, but if it does, we're going to have a problem. So, of course, Meredith and I are sitting there going, well, I mean, 
Okay, what, what does that mean? He goes, there's a, a pretty significant chance that when we do this, it's going to drop so low that we're going to have to put a pacemaker in. We don't like to put them in. You're under 50, um, and that shouldn't be something you go through. But the truth is, I'm not sure you can live without it if it happens. I said, all right, well, you know, I guess I'm all dressed up or actually completely naked. So <laughs> whatever you say, I'm vulnerable here, my man. So Doogie says, uh, yeah, that's what we're going to do. So uh, long story really short, they go through the first process, put me under, do the whole thing, knock you out, wheel you back in, say, hey, look, you made it, but we have a temporary thing put on the right side where we kind of monitor your heartbeat. Uh, that lasted about an hour, and they came back in and said, we need to go now, actually, and we're going to put this thing in now. And so they wheel me back in, put me back under. This is last Thursday, and uh, they put this pacemaker in, right, which uh, come to find out is just supposed to basically watch my heart, and at the end of the day, the design is it doesn't fix anything. It just, when it beats irregularly, it sends these kind of pulses to your heart and gets it beating back in rhythm. So um, in theory, that in theory, everything, this should help with everything. It's not going to solve everything. Uh, there's no real solving for anything that I have. It's just supposed to help me not have any of these other issues over time. Now, this is not a woe is me. It's just the reality that last Thursday when Sweet Brandon Tolberry wasn't feeling well, um, or last Sunday wasn't feeling well, I literally felt like I got run over by a truck twice. And uh, um, so I'm better, feeling better, a little sore, can't do a lot of things um, yet, but will be able to soon, in theory. Um, but, you know, I've wrestled back and forth with kind of sharing all that data because obviously I haven't shared it with, there's a few folks I know, but most don't, mainly because this is not the place for any of that. Like, uh, this is the place that we point to Christ, but I'm also really transparent up here about my struggles um, and those kind of things. And I don't ever want to make Sunday about me at all, but the reality is, is that I want you to understand that we all walk through these things. Like, we walk through the questions of saying, God, do I trust you? Like, I have a daughter that's getting married July 7th. I want to be there. Be pretty nice, actually. God, I don't know what you're doing. I'm trying to figure it out. Um, we have these seasons, and it's really easy to trust God with part of our heart, to say, man, but what do I do with all these unknowns? Like, how do, I, how do I wade through this stuff? Well, our author says what we do, we trust God with all of our heart. And then he goes on to say, and we lean not on our own understanding. And this is a real kicker for me, right? Because I think that God wants us to understand things and have knowledge. It's why we are discipled. It's why we're, we're raised into this relationship. It's actually the process of sanctification, becoming more like Jesus. But... We're called not to lean on that understanding. We're called to know it and embrace it. But when life gets complicated, we don't lean on what we know. Right? The book of Isaiah, chapter 55, says that God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our, our thoughts. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so God's thoughts and his ways are higher than ours. What that means is that God has this infinite knowledge and resources of every day, of every breath, of every life. And I have this incredibly limited understanding that's focused just mainly on my own life, on what I get and what I understand and what I can put my finger on. It has the very here and now, and it has what my short-term memory can conjure up. And if I lean on that, I'm going to be afraid. And if I lean on that understanding, I'm not, going to, I'm not going to have answers. But what God says, the wise person does, is the wise person says, I trust you with all of my heart and I lean on you and not me. Meaning I know that your ways are bigger. Means I know that you can redeem anything. 
that even the most broken human relationship is redeemable by you. That even the most broken pieces, they're, they're able to be pulled together by you and formed into something incredibly beautiful. Right? Like, you are beyond my understanding. And he goes on to say, and that person, that wise person that trusts and doesn't lean on their understanding acknowledges the Lord. And I love that part because it's the part that comes to action. The acknowledging of God is the action. I can say that I trust the Lord with all my heart. I can say that I lean not on my own understanding. But do I acknowledge it? Do I truly let that come out of my mouth and out of my life to say, God, I know you are who you say you are. You have never failed me from the day I gave my life to you until now. You have never, ever dropped a promise. You have never turned your back. You have never forsaken me. You have never, ever left me. So I acknowledge that you are God and I am not. That you can control the things that I can't. That you hold the sun and the moon in your very palm of your hand. I acknowledge that and I trust that. And what does the author say will happen? He says that God will make your path straight or he will direct your path depending on your translation. Actually, it can be both. You know what he doesn't say? And God will fix it. God will make it better. Doesn't say that at all. He says that when you trust and when you don't lean on your own understanding and when you acknowledge him, he will direct your path. He will make it straight. In other words, he will be the one that leads you. And that path may not always be easy to walk. That path may walk you right through the shadow, the valley of the shadow of death. But you're not navigating it alone. Right? The Lord will direct it. And the wise person, right, that we talked about, wisdom, right, that wants their heart to beat in harmony with God, wants to be led by the Lord. Do you think I want to navigate the valley of the shadow of death by myself? Or would you rather have the one who made it, who created it, who walks you through it? That's the wise person. So the wise trust in the Lord, right? The, the wise acknowledge and understand the importance of God's word. The wise trust the Lord goes on to say the wise essentially fear the Lord. Look at verse 8 and 9. Or let's go 7 and 8. <clears throat> do not be wise in your own eyes, right? What does that have? Yeah, we're, no, don't do that. That's terrible. Fear the Lord and shun evil. Fear the Lord is interesting, right? Because most of us don't understand the idea. Uh, but the Old Testament is actually full of this idea because biblical wisdom in the Old Testament is built around fearing the Lord and the New Testament is built around trusting and, and putting our hope and faith in Jesus. But they're both actually the same thing because fear is not about um, this sort of petrifying terror. Like when we think about fear, sometimes we think about standing on the edge of a cliff. I'm super afraid. I don't want to step off or I'm afraid of snakes or night terrors or whatever it is. That fear that seizes us, those things are what we equate with fear. But fear in the Old Testament, when tied to the Lord, is actually not about like the emotion of fear. It's really about two things. It's about reverence and it's about wisdom. I mean about reverence, excuse me, and about worship. And reverence is this idea that I know who God is and I know who I am. And when you put those two things together, reverence is the right understanding of who I am in comparison to who God is. And what happens in the Old Testament is if you look at people when they come in contact with holy, majestic, mighty, righteous God, right? They are put in their right relationship. Sometimes they die. That's how holy God is. Sometimes their hair goes white. Sometimes they can't look upon him. Sometimes it's like staring at the face of the sun. 
In fact, there was such a deep reverence in the Old Testament, they had a name for God that couldn't even be pronounced. Remember a year ago when we worked through the names of God, Yahweh? Unpronounceable, unspeakable name. God was too holy. God is not your pal, your homeboy, your buddy. He is none of those things. He is a friend only in the sense that he is God and cares for you, but he is mighty and majestic and holy. And at his voice, the nations tremble and mountains fall into the sea. That the train of his robe, the very tiniest portion of his robe, as Isaiah says, fills the temple of God, which is the greatest monument that human hands could ever build. And the train of his robe overflows it. Like This is the God of the Bible. When you understand who you are in comparison to who he is, you begin to go, God, who am I to question you? Who am I to argue with you, right? It's when God speaks to Job out of the whirlwind, if you remember that book. Job's throwing his hands up. He's frustrated. He's arguing with God. And God stops in verse chapters 30 and on. He says, where were you when I formed the earth? Who are you to question me? I made all of these things, including you. Essentially, God the creator, right, in comparison to just created person, we recognize reverence. And that reverence in Scripture always ends in one place. It ends in worship. It ends with people falling on their face before almighty, holy, and righteous God. It's while standing on the boat, Jesus is teaching the crowd, and Peter falls on his face and essentially says, you are the Christ, It's when Jesus walks by and John the Baptist says, there goes the Lamb of God who I am unworthy to even untie his sandals. Encounters with the Lord in Scripture always end in worship, either the worship of him or the turning and the worshiping of ourselves. A wise person fears the Lord. What that means is that it means that I understand my right place into who God is and I want to trust him above all things. He goes on to say this, fear the Lord and shun evil. So a wise person doesn't play with evil. A wise person doesn't toy with evil. A wise person doesn't poke around with it. A wise person has nothing to do with it, right? James talks about it in terms of this. He says, resist the devil, right? And he will flee from you. The idea simply being this is that we talked about this a lot in Ephesians, so I won't get into it this morning, but Satan, the devil, evil, they're very real. And there is a war that is being waged over your life and mine. Scripture is clear about it. We have to acknowledge it. And the whole end of Ephesians chapter 6 is talking about the war that is going around us spiritually. But that war begins with understanding that it's real and that it's not to be trifled with or toyed with. Sin is not a game. It's not something we do and kind of play around with until we're 25 and get married and decide we're going to come back to church at 30. And then God says, oh, you were young. It's fine. Sin is death. It's not a game. It's not a joke. It's not even a joke now where you are. If you're playing with things in your life that are evil, and I'm I'm not talking about like the crazy deep evil. I'm talking about anything that is not of the heartbeat of God. Right? We're living as fools. God says the wise person shuns it. Says I can't have anything to do with things that aren't a part of who God is. I'm not going to let pornography and these other things be a part of my life or my story. I'm not going to let the whispers of the world. I'm not going to play with the idea that my finances are mine and I'm going to hoard up a bunch of treasure here on earth. It's evil. It's true. And a wise person shuns it 
And then my favorite verse in all of these, as great as these are, says simply this, and we'll wrap everything up with this thought right here. These things, right? Verse 8. And this will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Do you think the author is talking about the fact that if we do these things, we're going to live long and prosper? No. He's talking about sort of the whole nature of the self. He said, if you, if you live as a wise person who knows the importance of the word of God, who trusts in the way of the Lord, who fears God, who shuns evil, these things are going to be healthy for your whole self, and they are going to nourish you down to your bones. Meaning that these are the things that you need to survive and thrive, and not just physically. Because you can be great and healthy outwardly and be dead on the inside. It is true. You can take care of this body all that you want to and be spiritually decaying. But a person that honors the Lord, that trusts the way of the Lord, a wise person that says, Jesus, you are all that I need, will find nourishment down to the very depths of their soul. It means that your outside and your inside, they'll match. They will nourish you down to your very bones. I live a lot of my life as most of us do, right, worried about the outside, staying physically healthy or trying to portray that image or just trying to look the right part or make sure that everything looks perfect on Instagram and Facebook for the world to see. And we take very little care of our spiritual bones, right? We hold hands on the way to church with our spouse and we fought the whole way here because the perception is I would rather nurture the outside than fix the bones, a wise person, wise person, nourishes the bones. As a church, this is who we want to be. We want to be a people that are wise, that have created this biblically beautiful picture of generous hospitality. We want to trust God when all things don't make sense, with all of our heart, not just part of it. We want to believe that God can redeem all things. We want to lean not on our own understanding. We want to believe and trust in the God who can still do the miraculous and still does the miraculous. We want to live with a healthy understanding that God is holy and mighty and reverent and that we are just simple sinners that he has rescued and redeemed and called to a better way of life. We want to be spiritually healthy from the tips of our head down to the bottom of our toes to the inner workings of our heart down to the deepest part of our bones. We talk about stewardship and kind of overseeing God's resources, it doesn't begin by just simply giving things away. It begins by being spiritually healthy. This is where I want your heart to begin. I and mean, we're stepping into this incredible season, this Advent, this picture, this reminding that Christ came and has promised to come again. Like this is a great season to stop and say, God, am I fully giving my life to you? And if not, what would it take, right? to bind love and faithfulness around your neck and tattoo them to the inside of your heart because the wise trust the way of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the privilege and joy of gathering in this place together, of opening your word, of living with honest transparency and understanding that we're deeply in need of whole spiritual health, health that truly... Um, begins with our heart, echoes down through our soul. That we don't just want to look good on the outside, but Lord, we want to be spiritually healthy. But more so, Lord, we want to 
be wise. We don't want the world to have a hold of us. We don't want the enemy to whisper things to our souls and to our heartbeat. We want to believe you. We want to trust you. We want to honor you. Lord, me of all people will admit that I am really good at trusting you with part of my heart. But when things get complicated, I get afraid. I worry. I get anxious. But I know you. I know that you have never failed me, and I know that you've never failed anyone here. That your ways are, are bigger and better than our ways. That your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. That you are perfect and holy and mighty and righteous. And I want my heart to beat in harmony with yours. And so, Lord, let us be a wise people who pursue Christ so that our hearts may beat in harmony with the redemptive work of God. For you are our King, and we trust the ways of the Lord. Nourish our bones. Let's stand together and close our time in worship this morning. so sweet to trust in Jesus just to take him at his word just to rest upon his promise just to know the saith the Lord Jesus Jesus how Just to trust his cleansing blood, just in simple faith to plunge me beneath the healing, cleansing flood. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I Just from sin and self to cease Just from Jesus simply taking Life and rest and joy and peace Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand this morning. 
So our hope is that as you walk out of this place, you'll be empowered by the word of God to be people that fully and totally trust the way of the Lord. Like, let your heart beat in the harmony with the heartbeat of God's, and this will nourish you down to your bones. Go in peace.